Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jay. I'm editor and founder of the Eagles Beak, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. You can get us on all the socials at the Eagles Beak, and I'm also producer and presenter of a local community radio show, sports radio show even, uh, which you can get online and you can get us on socials at the Meridian SS. Hi, I'm Jake, a Newcastle fan. You get me on Twitter at Jake Chapel with two ends. Hi, get us Llewellyn, Swansea City fan and uh, columnist. You can uh, find me on Twitter at get us Llewellyn. You can also listen to the Jackcast, the Swansea City podcast at the Jackcast on Twitter. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, guys, especially Gitto, who unfortunately is not here because Swansea have suddenly been promoted in the middle of a season. But we felt since we were talking FA Cup, it would be great to have him back on. But that's not where we're going to start first. First, I'm going to start off with an apology. We didn't end up having shows either of the last two weeks, which was not the plan, but we are sorry for abandoning you. So I figured we'd at least get caught up first on what happened in the Premier League over the congested holiday period, now that we're mostly past it and into kind of the Cup and league interchange at this point. But I just wanted to start off with who you guys thought were the biggest winners or losers in the Premier League over that holiday period. Good question. Uh, interesting one, isn't it? I think City are probably the biggest winners, um, the way they have continued to to pick up points as they were. But I think um, it's been a really interesting period in the world of Premier League because I think the biggest stories are the postponements and the moaning from certain managers uh, the COVID protocols in place and everything else. To be honest, I just wish I'd get on with it without the moaning side. It's getting a bit tedious now. Um, I think the the losers at the moment are the teams that are struggling with uh, cancelled games. Um, and that's kind of twofold, really, because the likes of Burnley, I don't think Burnley applied to have any of their games postponed. I think it was just their opponents all the, t- all the time. They were unluckily due to face were having, um, obviously, COVID issues. So Burnley are quite a way behind in the... Um, in the in the games played stakes, so it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because they've got to make up those games at some point. Obviously, they're out of the FA Cup, so that helps them. But obviously, may, may not kind of work out in terms of their opponents as well. So they've got to find gaps in a schedule, which is already a tight schedule. I mean, we're we're looking at a season where we're heading into a summer before a winter World Cup. So you know, there's obviously. Um, pressures on the FA to make sure that games are played and the season's finished at the right time um, so that there is a, a, a good enough summer because obviously everything's being condensed and obviously we're having a break next winter, which, you know, everything is, uh, it, it's, it's all very complicated, isn't it? But um, I, personally, I, I think there's too many games being called off. Uh, the, we're going into different uh, a different area now, but I just read that Everton-Leicester have just had their game called off on Tuesday, even though Leicester 
played in the FA Cup yesterday. Um, I haven't read the details. It's only just breaking news as we're recording the pod. So that's an in- intriguing one. Um, and it annoys me a little bit because two of their players have seen it at darts last weekend. So, you know, <laughs> you've got to help yourselves out, really, haven't you? But I-, I think it's a really hot topic in the Premier League at the moment because a lot of managers are having um, a fair amount to say in the whole situation. Um, you know, some of the... Um, some of the more successful teams are once again moaning that they're playing too much football at this time of year, which, you know, maybe if you weren't in Champions League, then you wouldn't have to play so many games. It's kind of a little bit like that, in my opinion. But I think the complications you've got are, um, you know, long COVID issues. You know, if players are going down with COVID, then, you know, it, it, it's it, it, it's an illness or a disease, or it's a disease that actually affects uh, affects your um you know, it affects people through tiredness and, you know, long COVID is a, is a known thing. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of side issues around this whole thing. Um, like I said, I've got a bit sidetracked with the whole COVID thing, but that's been the topic of the last few weeks, really. You know, we've postponed games left, right and centre. Um, and there's been no real um, clarification from the, uh, from the Premier League about, you know, which players have COVID, which players are injured, how, you know, how many players these teams are having, um, you, you know, not available because of you know, postponed games, stuff like that. So it's all a little bit uh, unseemly in a way. And it's uh, it's kind of a little bit done under the carpet a little bit, it feels like, for, for a lot of these clubs. But, you know, the show goes on. Um, and for most clubs, it is business as usual. Um, and like I mentioned, I think City have been very impressive during this period. Um, you know, they've they've got themselves clear at the top of the table and, and look very much like the ones to beat this season, which is kind of how I thought it might happen as the season went on. Um, and, and yeah, the losers, I think, are the teams like Burnley and Watford that have games left to play and they've got to try and fit them in at certain points. But uh, yeah, it, it's been a very difficult few weeks, actually, uh, in, the, in the Premier League and in football in general. It's not just Premier League, it affects it. You know, it's affecting all the divisions and, you know, it's something that we've got, we've got to acclimatise to um, but there does need to be a, a fairer way of doing things, I think, uh, at the moment. It just seems to be who shouts loudest at the moment uh, seems to be the case. But, yeah, it's uh, it's it's proving to be um, an interesting season for, for more way, for more reasons than one. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Jay has said. The stuff about the postponed games is tough. Uh, and I definitely think that some teams are, are taking advantage of that more than others. But if the Premier League are letting them do that, I don't think the clubs can be blamed. Um it's really down to the Premier League. But in terms of the winners, yeah, City, they've uh, pretty much won the league now. You'd, you'd be surprised if if Liverpool or, or Chelsea got close to them. Um, probably say Tottenham have, have done well over this period. They've won won a few games. They've, um, Manchester United and Arsenal have dropped points. West Ham have two. Uh, and I think if Tottenham win their two games of hand, they go in the top four. So you'd say they've had a quite a good little festive period, yeah. um, considering they started off with the, the COVID issues uh, right back at the very start and the closing their training ground. So yeah, they've, they've had a good period. Um, I think maybe Brentford have, have done quite well. Uh, they sort of pulled away from the bottom three again. They've got a 12-point gap now. It's difficult to see them being involved in the relegation fight, even if they did collapse severely over the second half of the season, which I think is possible. I definitely think that they're a team that, that is going to have a worse second half of the season, but they've put enough enough space in between them. They got a good win against Everton. Um, wasn't it Villa as well they beat? So yeah, they've, they've had quite a good little period. Um, and to be honest, I'd say Newcastle have had quite a good little period in, in, the, in just the fact that Watford and Burnley are 
so close to them. So, you know, if we beat Watford next week, we go out of the bottom three. So if you'd have said that, if you'd have offered Eddie Howe that and the new owners that when they'd have taken over, they probably both would have taken it. So even though our results haven't been good, we've had a few cancellations. We've, you know, we got destroyed by Manchester City uh, and we got well beaten by Liverpool. We've, uh, we're still well in the sort of in, in touching distance. So despite the embarrassment of yesterday, you'd maybe look at what Newcastle are going to do this month and the fact that Watford and Burnley don't seem to be making up any ground. I know they've got, I think Watford have got two games down and Burnley have got one. So, or the vice versa, sorry. I think Burnley got two games down and Watford have got one. So, you know, and at the bottom of the table, it's points on the board that matter more than games in hand because they're at the bottom for a reason. I don't really see Burnley or Watford winning many games now between now and the end of the season. Uh, probably likewise Newcastle, but the fact that we, we are in it, I think it's, it, it's, it's probably a good thing for us going into this month and makes it a little bit easier to get some new players in. So, um, yeah, they're the main ones for me in sort of a a bad, sort of had a bad festive period. You've got to say Manchester United, they've, they've, it's not just the result, you know, drawing uh, to Newcastle and then losing to Wolves. It's been the performances too. They've, they've, they've looked really, really bad. Um, they don't really look like they've improved at all under Ragnick, which is which is a little bit surprising. But then maybe not if you look at his coaching resume. Uh, he's not really had a big job like this before, and maybe the players are sort of struggling to to really put the trust in him to to implement his ideas. They've, they've looked really really bad. Um, like I mean, they were bad against Newcastle. We should have won that game. We had the better chances, and they got a scruffy equaliser. But then against Wolves, they barely even threatened the goal. Uh, it was really, really bad. And yeah, I, I think they're they're a long way from finishing in the top four. And, and you'd say they they might not even finish in the top six at this rate. Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to argue that Manchester City were the big winners of this period. I mean, they won all their games. Chelsea and Liverpool dropped points. Um, it, it's going to take a heck of a collapse now for them not to win the Premier League. And knowing the way Guardiola, you know, orchestrates these um, league title pushes, you just can't see it happening. So it's it's been absolutely ideal from a Man City point of view. And if you actually look below them, I think it's I think the the, the teams that have had good festive periods are few and far between, largely because of um, the the postponements. I mean, there's there's a few clubs there that you can say have had kind of indifferent ones. Some have had really bad ones. Um, I think Burnley are prime candidate for that, despite only playing two games. I mean, to lose one of those against against Leeds is is a heck of a, um, uh, you know, a heck of a bad result for, for them, considering they've still got this major fixture pileup to come, for example. Um, but if we're looking for other teams who haven't had bad festive periods, I don't actually think Arsenal have had a bad one. I think they've climbed up the table to a point now where they've um you can say that they are genuine top four contenders um they've had some you know quite quite emphatic wins during that period and even the one defeat they had against manchester city the performance was probably the most encouraging performance i've seen from an arsenal side against one of you know the the title challenges in a long time they they actually did turn up and okay they didn't get the result in the end but there was a lot of um, there were a lot of encouraging signs there. Um, other than that, I think Wolves have had a good festive period, despite not playing that many. Um, you know, they've had some some good results. The, the win at Old Trafford, the the headline there, and and they're now in a position where you can say actually they're just outside that top six, trying to sneak in there. Um, 
it's similar, really, kind of profile to to West Ham by now, I would say. So I th- I think they can. I think they've just quietly snuck in under the radar. Wolves. They've just gone about their job. They don't lose many games. Um, and by now, I think you can say actually, Wolves are quite quite an interesting team to look at, um, despite not being the kind of team that's going to, you know, hit the back pages too often. They're not going to write too many headlines for themselves. They've just quietly gone about their business and that they've kept on doing it over Christmas. And that's why they're in a pretty good position in the league right now. Yeah, I think you guys have all made some some really good points, both with the teams on the pitch and Jay, with your point about the uh, COVID situation, which I am not getting into again, but <laughs> absolutely was a factor over these December fixtures. And usually by now we would have had this show where we talk about how every team has played 19 matches and then we go through who we think is favorites for the title and top four and relegation and all those things. But still a lot of clubs not quite there (laughs) at the halfway point of their seasons with so many of these delays. Uh, Let's go into the FA Cup now. Uh, Gitto kind of mentioned Arsenal there, who we may hear from (laughs) pretty quickly. But what did you guys think were the biggest upsets in this third round of the FA Cup? It was, I mean, I think the first thing's first. It's it's great to see fans being back, um, particularly for the FA Cup, because it is a, I think it's a competition that uh, that lives off the back of the fans being at games. And I think it was very noticeable this weekend, particularly at the likes of, you know, games featuring Boreham Wood and Kidderminster and that kind of thing. I feel sorry for the teams that, uh, non-league teams that actually did well in the last couple of seasons without fans being there. But um, yeah, it's neither here nor there. I thought it was very noticeable this year uh, for the third round that uh, that we had that. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of enjoyable games. I, I think it's great to see the giant killers back, you know, in in, in the FA Cup and the likes of Boreham Wood, Kidderminster, um, Hartlepool to a lesser extent as well. Um, it, you know, it, it just proves what the FA Cup does that no other competition can do. You know, it's one of those competitions in world football, which I think a lot of other countries are very envious of. I mean, you know, how many, how many other countries can you say that take what 6,000 fans to Chelsea, you know, for a Chesterfield who are, uh, who are non-league, you know, that, I mean, that's just incredible. Uh, and, and yes, you could say people jump on the bandwagon, but Chesterfield were a, you know, a league club in their own right, you know, for, for a number of years before they dropped down to non-league. But, you know, even so, you know, taking 6,000 fans to, um, yeah, the European champions is, uh, you know, for a non-league side is, is absolutely tremendous to, to be honest and, and just shows what, you know, what love the FA Cup has. I mean, this is, what is it, the 150th season of the FA Cup. It's something to celebrate. And uh, I think we've had no end of entertainment, uh, you know, this this weekend for sure. Um, obviously, stepping stepping you know to one side uh, from my club, um, you know, there's been there's been a lot of um, enjoyable games. I mean, I think um, to a lesser extent, it's probably a fixture that not many people looked at as a, as an entertaining game. But Barrow um, visiting Barnsley that turned out to be an absolute cracker, um, ending up five four after extra time. I mean, Barrow had a guy sent off. Uh, fought back and they were four four at some stage and I, I thought you know watching the highlights of that yesterday um you know that was very much an underrated game when you look at the highlights it, it, you know they kind of just showed the goals on tv last night but actually you know that probably deserved uh you know a good 10-15 minutes of highlights because it was it was that that entertaining if Bournemouth beating Wimbledon I mean that that was brilliant to see Kiminster is probably the yeah the result of the round um, you know, winning, winning their game and, and and obviously getting through to the fourth round. I think they're the lowest ranked side, Kidderminster, um, in the competition, which is 
you know, which is great to see. Um, obviously, Burnley, you know, being knocked out um, yesterday, early doors yesterday against by Huddersfield. I mean, Huddersfield doing well in the championship at the moment, but you know, it's still it's still there as a giant killer. I mean, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because you know, how do you how do you define a giant killing? Obviously, by name, by by division, that kind of thing. But you know, every team in this competition seems to have a different approach to it. Um, you know, Palace played a pretty strong uh, side out yesterday. You know, from what they could have done, um, other than a you know reserve, reserve keeper. But you know, every Premier League team seems to be doing something different. Um, you've only got to look at like Liverpool and and City, and there are different reasons this year. You know, for for those changes, and and we've already mentioned those in the pod already. But I thought it was a really entertaining third round this year. I really enjoyed it, and I think uh, the fans being at games. Um, was a huge part of that. I think we really missed that in the FA Cup. You know, we missed it in football completely anyway, but I think the FA Cup, you know, lives off the back of fans being at games and particularly for likes of Bournemouth and Kidderminster. I thought those two games in particular were were excellent to watch and, and really shows, really proves the magic of the FA Cup is still there. Yeah, I mean... Jay has spoken for a long time that not mentioned Cambridge beating Newcastle, so I don't know if he thinks he was leaving that for me to discuss. I was like, leaving he just it. Doesn't think that's a threat. <laughs> no, he just doesn't think that that's a shock, which, which again, I, I wouldn't argue with. So, <laughs> but yeah, that's quite a big one. I, I did watch that game, and it was, it was exactly how you, you'd expect it to have gone when you saw the scoreline. In the, in the first half, Newcastle created tons of chances. Should have went, should have scored, didn't score. Um, weren't playing with a striker so that didn't really help and then it then they got a sort of a scrappy goal had like a five minute var check that got given and then uh, from that point on it was a team that has won once all season who's not used to playing against a team that sit behind the ball and they didn't know what to do and the confidence just drained and yeah as soon as the goal went in it, it we were never likely to equalize it was just it they definitely look like a team that has no confidence whatsoever um which is why there's going to be a lot of players coming in this month because there's no way that that group of players can stay in the Premier League. But, um, yeah, that was quite a big surprise, uh, I guess. But, you know, if you if you would have picked out potential cup cup shocks prior to the weekend, you probably would have earmarked that one. So I'm not sure. You know, it, it is big, but, yeah, it wasn't the most surprising. Um, the Kidderminster one was obviously the, the gap between divisions. But I think Reading... Um, played a weakened team and I don't think that Reading will be too upset of going out of the cup even though you know it's a little bit embarrassing if they go on and, and win a couple in the league it'll quickly get forgotten about so yeah that was a shock um you know Arsenal today Arsenal lose to Nottingham Forest um there's only one um one division between the teams and, and it happened a few years ago as well but it is a surprise you know it's a surprise when anybody in the Premier League beats one of the top six teams so for a, for a lower division team to do it um, and for Arsenal to put a quite strong team as well that was a, a shock and I thought Forrest played really well and were deserving of it um, they've been a, a team transformed since uh, Steve Cooper took over I'm sure Ghetto would talk a little bit more about that as he'll be more informed about Cooper than I am but yeah, they they played really well, and I think it's it's been a continuation of what they've been doing in the league. Um, for Arsenal, I think it's quite a quite a disappointment to go out at this stage. You know, they don't have European competition. They're still in the EFL Cup, um, but they're playing Liverpool in the semi-final, so I don't know how that one's going to go. You know, you'd have thought that they'd have been targeting this for a real cup run, uh, and to go out the third round is a little bit disappointing. Although if they go on to finish in the top four or win the the EFL Cup, I, I guess they're not going to be too disappointed. But yeah, they're, they're the big ones, I think. Um, has been a really good weekend of football. Um, even, you know, for 
for Tottenham and, and Liverpool both to go one 0 down today. It just adds a little bit of extra needle to the weekend. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a, a good weekend of football, um, which I'm sure I would have enjoyed more if my team weren't didn't come cropper to one of the shock results. But there we go. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree. I thought I've loved this weekend. I've absolutely loved it more than I've loved a third round weekend for quite some time, and that's despite my club. Um, failing to make it through to the fourth round. Um, and that's because there have been some great shocks and there have been some great games. I mean, Jay there spoke about Barrow going away to Barnsley, going down to 10 men, going 2-0 down, and then taking the game to extra time with a four-all. You know, I, I mean, I was just listening to that game in the car on the way over to my brother's house um, yesterday. And I was like, what is going on? It's just the FA Cup at its insane best, basically. Um, it's just a shame that Barrow couldn't, um, complete what would have been an absolutely incredible um, scalp had they um, beaten Barnsley with ten men. Um, but I mean, you know, the, the you know, you guys have talked about the the other shocks. Kidderminster against Reading, I agree with Jake, is is a shock. Obviously, it's probably not as big a shock as it's kind of been made out because Reading made a lot of changes for that game, um, and they put uh, Rafael Cabral in goals, which is basically a, a you know a defeat waiting to happen he is just a walking um blunder um by this stage in his career um so um you know it's obviously a great achievement for Kidderminster but Reading did give them a lot of help with with that team selection I think that's that's the thing when you're judging upsets in, in the FA Cup you have to look at what kind how both teams have taken it and sometimes you see teams not take it seriously and they're almost begging to be kicked out and you think well that's not quite the same and that's why I think Newcastle, sorry, Jake, I'm going to have to go there. That This is why I think Newcastle is the, the shock of the weekend because Newcastle really did treat this game seriously. They did pick um, a strong side uh, and they were playing against Cambridge United, two divisions below them, you know, at home at St. James's Park in front of a packed crowd who seemed like they were, you know, hoping that this would be a rare win for their side this season. And, you know, to lose that one. I mean, it's it's just an incredible result for Cambridge. Absolutely fan- fantastic for them. And one of the best things about it is the name of the scorer, Joe Ironside, sounds like an FA Cup third round hero from 1952. It's just, it, you expect that name to be spoken about on a passing <laughs> newsreel. You know, it's um, it's very old school as a, as a footballer's name. Um, but I mean, it's just brilliant. The one thing I will say is that um, in hindsight, Eddie Howe and Newcastle United is a match made in FA Cup hell. Um, I, I like Eddie Howe, but his cup record is appallingly bad. I think he's now won one of his last seven um, FA Cup matches as a manager, which is um, really awful, um, considering a lot of those games have been against lower league opposition as well. So I, I think Newcastle um, losing to Cambridge is the shock of the of the round. I think that's a heck of a result. Nottingham Forest beating Arsenal, like you said, is is really, really commendable. Forest are in fantastic form, but but so were Arsenal. And you would have thought that they would have seen this as a competition worth taking seriously this year. And um, it, I, I didn't watch the match, but it seems like Forest gave them a really good game and it wasn't just a, a snatch and grab. Um, and the, the other one that Jay touched on, which I think needs to, um, you know, deserves a bit more credit than it's received, really, is um, Hartlepool's win over Blackpool, because Blackpool have been pretty good this season. They've not been, their form has taken a little bit of a dip recently, but they picked a strong team to play against Hartlepool. And, um, you know, 
for them to come from behind and win 2-1 and an 18-year-old, I think, got the winner. I mean, that's that's brilliant. That's pure FA Cup. It's it's absolutely fantastic. And just because it's not a Premier League side that's at, at the um, you know at the at the wrong end of that scalp, it it doesn't make it any less of an impressive result. And I think Hartlepool deserve a heck of a lot of credit for it. Yeah, I think you guys are pretty uh, <laughs> pretty well covered all of the different uh, options here, and also mentioned some of the clubs that you were pretty impressed by. And there were a lot of really interesting performances and storylines, obviously, coming out of it. And I'm personally just delighted that Tottenham didn't have to be mentioned in this segment, which it looked like they were going to be in about the 75th minute. Um, How did your individual clubs approach the match? Obviously, Jake touched on his a little bit already. Uh, Jay, I know for you, you know, playing Millwall, not not a beloved fan base for you, and obviously some nasty uh, behavior during that match, which may be not as much of a shock as we'd like it to be. But but what did you make of that one and your approach to it? Yeah, I mean, it's the first time we've had a South London derby. I mean, you know, much is made of our rivalry with Brighton, but this this game is, is a derby, a South London derby. There's seven miles between us, you know, you have people that, you know, live next to Mill fans, got Mill fans and a family and vice versa, Palace Mill. So it is one of those true derby games. And to be drawn in the FA Cup is is something special. Um, there's no love loss between either team, um, as you probably saw from live coverage yesterday. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it, it, it was an intriguing game, to be quite honest. Um I'm trying not to touch on the uh, the, the goings on off the pitch because uh, I've said enough on social media, which uh, is, is probably uh, probably enough. So if anybody wants to check out uh, check that out, then just follow us on socials because um, I've had my say and I'm I'm trying to keep quiet now. Um, <clears throat> on the pitch, yeah, I'm in Palace. This is our first game without our uh, players that have gone to the African Cup of Nations, so no Wilfred Zaha, um, no Jordan Ayew, and no Cheku Karate, and I think. To be honest, it says an awful lot that we're we're going to miss John Nio and, and Kuarte a lot more than Wilf uh, over the coming weeks. I hope that doesn't bite me on the backside, but I think that's probably a lot of Palace fans will um, will agree with me there because Jordan's been fantastic in recent weeks, as has Kuarte, who's uh, who's been brilliant in the midfield. So it was a bit of an interesting one to see how we we're going to set up uh, yesterday, but we played a strong side. Um, to be honest, um, Jack Butlin is our is our goal is our cup goalkeeper. I don't know how much for long how much longer that's going to be after his absolute howler in the first half. Which, to be honest, the atmosphere was red hot yesterday. The first half, and you know that just gave Millwall every encouragement for that first half. Really, in, in the first half, that you know we were pretty poor, um, and we could have been. I mean, to be honest, uh, Butlin didn't have much else to do the rest of the game. He had a couple of pretty straightforward saves to make but you know you still have to make them after making an absolute howler so you know fair play to him for that but I think our, our best response was to score by uh straight after the um half time um before everybody got back in their seats and that just killed any atmosphere that you know Mill had in that first half which was the perfect way to do it um I have to say Michael Elise is just out of this world this player I mean he's that's his third start for us so far um, Patrick Vieira is doing exactly the right thing, breaking him in gently. He knew Wilf was going to go off to the African Cup of Nations for January. This is his chance. And to be honest, he's taken every chance he's been given so far off the bench. You know, he's come on, influenced games from the bench. Uh, I think that's his third goal he scored for. His, and what a goal. I mean, cutting inside. I mean, to be honest, you know, no, no disrespect to the middle of fullback, but actually, you know, allowing him to cut inside to do what he still had to do that, uh, to do what he did and curl it into, into the far corner. And that was just sublime. 
to see a player take on a fullback and actually cut inside and do that. You know, it's really, uh, really exciting to see him. Um, he is certainly off to the back of uh, getting Eze in the club. And obviously Eze is trying to come back after this horrible injury that he has. So he needs to, you know, a bit more time to get back to where he was. But having Eze have a season he did last season and then we've got the excitement of Michael Lise now as well, which is, um, yeah, it, it's just incredible to see a player who's at such a young age, cost us very little and, uh, you know, can do what he does. He's going to be an absolute star. And, you know, his influence continued in the game. He set up the uh, the, the winner for Mateta, um, who just had to get his head on it, basically. I mean, you know, it was a perfect ball for a for a very tall striker up front. And um, and to be honest, I, I mean, Millwall did, you know, put the pressure on us as, a, as the game went on in the second half. But um, you could question Patrick Vieira's changes as the game went on because it kind of changed our formation a little bit and didn't really help us kind of put us on the back foot a little bit, but we got through it, you know. And to be honest, I think the guys would agree that a performance doesn't really matter in the FA Cup. It's getting through, getting the win, getting to the next round, and that's where we are, uh, which is really good. I don't think we've got through to the next round for the last three years, and we haven't scored a goal in the FA Cup for three years. So to get to and to beat, to knock out our our, uh, our, our local rivals out of the Cup um, is great. I know it, was, it turned out to be really good in the end, and uh, yeah, we'll take that performance, uh, you know, not worried about that too much. And um, yeah, we're in the fourth round, so uh, that's uh, that's all we can ask for. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I mean, Ghetto is right. We did try to win the game. <laughs> uh, we did put out quite a strong team. Um, Trippier made his debut. Uh, he was probably the only player to play well. Um, so yeah, he, he did. He did sort of show why he's instantly going to be one of our best players. Um, so that was a positive. But yeah, the rest of it was just was really disappointing. Um, you know, we. I think the problem Eddie Howe had was that we didn't have any strikers on the pitch, and there was nobody trying to get into central areas, which isn't great when you're then chasing the game. I think the first half we quite we had a few chances. Jacob Murphy, I think, had three or four really good chances. Scored a, a goal that got disallowed just before Cambridge scored as well. He was the, probably our biggest threat, and then he got taken off at 60 minutes, which 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 was puzzling really because he was definitely the one that looked most likely to to score. Um, and then when he was taken off, it just got really blunt and I just think that the lack of confidence in that squad was just so evident nobody really wanted to to, to take the shot on nobody was wanted to you know try and beat a, an opposition defender it was just loads of crosses into the box when you're not when you're not playing with any sort of striker it's not going to do anything especially against the league one defense which defending aerial balls into the box is their bread and butter at the end of the day so it, it was it was questionable for Eddie Howe the decision to take off Murphy probably even more questionable that they sort of keep putting balls into the box when it was evident it wasn't working um I think it just. Uh, I think the we had the uh, you know non-executive chairman as he's called from the PIF within the stadium. So uh, and apparently he went down to the dressing room after the after the match, which is you know people who have thoughts about the Saudi Arabians will have their thoughts on what that possibly could have could have entailed. But yeah, it was. I'm sure him him watching that and the rest of the ownership watching that. It was just a stark reminder of what needs to get done this month. We need players all over the pitch. I don't think there's a single position where we couldn't be strengthened quite easily. It, it's, it's got really bad uh, at Newcastle. It's just got so stale over the last couple of years that we've just got players that we've given new contract after new contract after new contract that just seem to be just going through the motions. Um, I think it's such a unique situation that you could see on that pitch yesterday that maybe there were some of those players that know they're going to be replaced and weren't quite 
as committed as you'd expect them to be. Um, there was a few that the body language wasn't good. I think at the end of the match, I think four or five went straight down the tunnel, which, you know, if you've got if you've sold out the stadium and you've then lost to a League One team, you should at least go and, you know, face up you know, show your appreciation to the fans. I think there was uh, quite a few journalists were saying that Trippier was shouting at the, <laughs> shouting at them to come back. So he's already showing the the sort of role he's taken on in that dressing room. Uh, yeah, and if he didn't know the the job ahead of him and the rest of the new signings with this squad, I think he will will know now, and it is going to be a a huge task. Eddie Howe is still early. I don't think he deserves too much criticism at the moment for the job he's doing. I think that. It, this squad of players is so bad. It's just awful that it's he always needed to to get into January and bring in some players. Um, but yeah, yesterday's decision to take off Murphy was a little bit questionable. But I don't think it's probably the worst thing that we went out of the cup. And if we then next week if we go and beat Watford and we move out of the bottom three, I don't think any Newcastle fan is particularly going to care about losing to Cambridge this week. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of a lot of fans saying that they want apologies from players and managers. Um, I don't really want to see an apology from them. I just want them to go and beat Watford next week, and then that will be fine with me. So hopefully they do that. But yeah, it was a, it was a bad afternoon. Um, not the worst afternoon we've had in the FA Cup in the last ten years, um, but it's, it is up there. I think a few years ago, I think under Alan Pardew, we lost three-one away to Stevenage, who were uh, in League Two at the time, and that was that was very bad. But yeah, this this isn't the worst, but it it was a a sorry tale, uh, and yeah, it's always darkest before the dawn, as they keep saying. But it does seem with Newcastle, we keep thinking it's going to improve, and it's, you know, we had the ownership change, it didn't really improve. We had the manager, we sacked Steve Bruce, it didn't really improve. We brought in Eddie Howe, it didn't really improve. We've signed Trippier, it's not really improved. You know, when is it going to improve? That's the question. Hopefully soon. Uh, hopefully next week against Watford. Hopefully they'll bring in two or three new players this week, as seem to be the rumours, and we can slowly move on from the Mike Ashley era. But I think it's going to be a painful two or three years trying to get rid of some of these players that are on huge wages, who I don't think any other team are going to want. It's going to be yeah, it's going to be a painful transition period, but hopefully we will get there. But yeah, it was, it was bad. We, we 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 tried to win, we didn't win, we got embarrassed. Let's just move on. <laughs> Uh, from Swansea's point of view, this was a bit of a weird one, really, because we hadn't played since December 11th. Um, we, along with Luton, Bristol Rovers and Port Vale, have, the, have have been on the longest run without playing a game prior to, to yesterday's fixture. Um, and we came up against Southampton, who are a Premier League team, doing reasonably well at the moment. Um, you know, 10 points clear of the relegation zone. So they... Um, clearly prioritise the league and they uh, prioritise the cup a bit more than um, some other Premier League clubs would. Uh, and they picked a, a reasonably strong team to play against the Swans. Um, and we expected the Swans to do likewise because we hadn't played for a month, basically. So our players desperately needed the minutes to get back into um, back up to match fitness. But it was a bit of a mix and match of a team. Um, there were, you know, it was half and half, really. And we played this experimental 4-3-3 um, formation um, with three out-and-out strikers up front. I wouldn't say it worked particularly well. It certainly didn't work in the first half hour when Southampton absolutely outclassed us. They absolutely destroyed us in that first 30 minutes. And it was just... Um, a blessing, really, that they only scored the one goal. Um, but the game did change somewhat uh, after half an hour when Jan Valery got a second yellow card. 
um, and that evened up things a little bit more. But still, throughout the match, I just think Swansea looked like a team who hadn't played for a month. Everything was just that little bit slower. There were some really nice moments, but we struggled to create um, check clear-cut chances. Uh, at least we that was the case until we brought on Olivier and Cham in the second half, who gave us a bit more cutting edge in midfield. Um, we got the equaliser through Joel Piru, um, who had a very quiet game otherwise, but, but found an emphatic strike to take us to extra time. And we took the lead. And um, we thought at that stage, hey, there may be an upset on the cards here. But one of um, Swansea's, um, well, one of the growing themes of Swansea season um, is uh, the fact that we um, concede very quickly now after uh, after scoring. Uh, we did it twice against Reading recently, and we did it uh, against Southampton yesterday. We scored, and then within 60 seconds, Southampton had equalised, and then they went and scored the third. And we, you know, we were too tired by that stage to do anything. Um, but it, it was a bit of a weird one. I, I'm not going to read too much into it. There were some good things, some a lot of bad things, but it's it's difficult to really judge it because we haven't been playing because we made changes because we were playing against a premier league team albeit one that was down to 10 men uh for most of the match um the one thing i will say is that every single time we play we concede really soft goals and that's the main issue we've had this season is that the, the balance isn't there in defense and we really struggle to transition from attack into defense um if we concede the ball um, we are ripe for the opposition to, to tear us a new one. Uh, we give them so much space. Um, and the fact that um, Shane Long scored the winner um, five years after he, I thought, retired from football um, speaks volumes really about um, uh, about the way we defended. It just, um, yeah, it, it's, it's an area that needs a lot of work from our point of view. And we're still not finding any kind of um, system which works well in that respect. So um, it was just good from a Swansea point of view, if I'm being honest, to be back on the pitch. The players have got a few more minutes and hoping it'll it'll leave us a bit fresher going into the league match next week because um, we've missed out on four league fixtures. We've got a heck of a congested schedule coming up uh, and we really could use um, a couple of points because our form going into that break um wasn't great either so um yeah it, it wasn't a great day yesterday um but hopefully it'll give us the the match practice that we need to start picking up points again in the league gotcha and yeah it's uh weirdly difficult to play against southampton who have received a red card in the first 30 minutes of a match we recently had to do that ourselves and like you said it did look optimistic there for a period but yeah conceding just too many goals in the end there especially in that extra period. Uh, all right, now we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, and we are back. We'll start off this rounding the table segment by talking to Jay a little bit about Crystal Palace. Uh, we already kind of talked through your match, so I won't make you talk through all of that again. You do obviously have some key players missing out with AFCON, but you already mentioned a few players that could kind of fill in for them. Uh, Elise, like you mentioned, already fantastic. Mateta amidst some transfer stuff, uh, also getting on the score sheet there, but also now you have Eze coming back from his injury. I'm just curious what you think that kind of attacking front will look like over the next month or so? Yeah, I think um, the Millwall game yesterday, we had a front three of Eze, uh, Elise and Matessa, and those three haven't had any game time together as a, as a front three. Um, and I think that was part of our problem in the first half yesterday. And, you know, they're still trying to find their feet, haven't had much game time, certainly in the first 11, at least. Um, Elise is probably the only one off the bench. Uh, Mateta has had a bit of time as well. Um, as a, you know, he 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 needs he needs game time for sure after that horrific injury. So um, there's certainly no rushing him back. Uh, he will be broken in gently. But obviously with the, you know, with Jordan Ayew missing and, and Wilf missing, who would who would certainly be starting these games, then you know those two are in the prime position to uh, to fill those slots. As for Mateta, well, you know this guy hasn't really looked like a footballer. Um, but he scored a back on against Brighton and he scored against Millwall. So, you know, to, two of our two of our rivals, he will go down uh, as a bit of a cult hero if that's all he does at the club, to be quite honest. There's been a lot of conversation about him um, going somewhere else. Uh, St Etienne is the rumour at the moment, but actually, you know, I think in, in the last couple of games, he's actually shown a little bit, you know, particularly the you know, his game against Millwall yesterday. Uh, we certainly look worse, uh, worse off when he went off yesterday, um, he, he certainly did, uh, you know, did a job in the what sixty odd minutes he was on the pitch and obviously scored a goal. So um, there's something about him that is it's very similar to when we had Benteke. You know, in the first season he scored a lot of goals and we used him properly, and then for seasons after that, for whatever reason it was, we kind of stopped using him, playing into his strengths. You know, we 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 kind of you, you kind of pass the ball to feet a lot too much. Um, and instead of, you know, a big guy like Menteke, he's great with his head. Um, you know, I'm not saying he's, he's not very good with his feet, but actually, you know, put it at the edge of, edge of six-yard box, ping it in. The, you know, you've got the likes of Andros Townsend, Will Sahar to ping. But it, we, for some reason, we stopped playing to his strengths. And, and this is what we've got to do with Mateta when he's on the pitch. You know, he, he's going to hold the ball up well, but, you know, ping it to him in a, in a position where, um, he can do that. You know, he's he's not particularly great with his feet. I would say Benteke is probably better with his feet than Mateta. Um, but actually, we haven't seen an awful lot of him. He was he was very good at man uh, mains uh, before before he joined Palace last season. He, he scored about I think he scored about six or seven goals in about ten games for for Mines. So you know, he came with you know a lot of promise. Still a young player, and, and you kind of think a lot of that at the start was to do with you know, acclimatising to, you know, to England and, you know, English football and that kind of stuff, because some players do struggle with that. Uh, but actually, yeah, I, I'd be disappointed if he goes, actually, this in this window, um, unless, you know, we, we're looking elsewhere. There's rumours that we're looking at Enketia, um at Arsenal, which um, I thought that was close to being a done deal, but he, he played for Arsenal today, which obviously cup ties him. Uh, obviously not their worry now, but uh, and more so ours if we do sign him. So, um, that was a bit of a surprise to see him start for Arsenal, but sometimes his knees must a little bit, isn't it? So, um, but yeah, 
uh, we've got the likes of um, it was nice to see uh, Jezra and Raksaki on the bench, a really uh, highly rated uh, youngster coming through the ranks who um, we're hoping is going to be is, is going to go places in the future. Uh, really talented. Uh, hopefully he will get some game time, even if it's off the bench, certainly during January, at least anyway. Um, and uh, obviously Jack Wells Morrison as well uh, was on the bench for us yesterday, which was which was good to see the academy is producing some real talent at the moment. And obviously it's really positive. There's a lot of positive noise around the club at the moment since the opening of the academy, new training ground, and the money has been pumped into that. It's a real legacy of, you know, our nine seasons in the Premier League, you know, that, that it is now a club record uh, to be at this level for this long um, consistently. And, and and we have a bit of a legacy behind us now, which is, which is great to see. So hopefully, you know, there's a lot of talk around talent in and around South London, which we've lost out on, but actually with the, facility that we've now got in place will attract some of these youngsters to Palace. You know, we, we've not done too badly in the past, but actually, you know, a lot of the names that have come out of South London, you know, haven't come through Palace. So hopefully we can be one of those clubs that, you know, we, we don't end up suffering from the likes of Chelsea, Arsenal and Tottenham siphoning youngsters out of out of, out of London, wherever it might be. You know, hopefully we'll, we'll get a bit more of a better pick on that. But um, yeah, we... I think with with the likes of these three players uh, at the African Cup of Nations, I was actually dreading it, looking at the mm. calendar at the start of the season. Um, but actually, the way it's panned out, um, I, I, I'm actually quite positive. Uh, you know, with the likes of Eze getting game time, Elisa yesterday, I mean, the, the step up was a bit of a concern from the Championship to... But actually, he's taking it like a duck to water and, and, and actually getting him on the pitch for 90 minutes. I'm excited to, to see what he can do uh, and actually, you know, fill in, fill in that uh, void that Will will, uh, will always leave for us. Um, actually, we can move away from it's a bit of a it's a bit of a dying argument now, actually, you know, Palace not winning without Wilf. Um, you know, we've managed it a few times now. So it did come up a few times yesterday, but actually it's an old it's an old one now, uh, which is good. And actually, this is the future of Palace. You know, think about it. Wilf's 29 now, whether or not he moves on or, you know, he's you know, he's going to start fading at some point. Um, yeah, like I say, whether he moves on or not or stays at the club, then then great. But actually, we've, we've got we've got some future coming through. And actually, you know, getting a lease safe for eight million uh, from Reading. I mean, that was just that was just stunning business. It really yeah. was stunning business. And the guy is confident. And I think it says a lot when he scored that equaliser, didn't celebrate, wanted to get back and kick off again, you know, to get the game going. You know, he's he, he just wants to get on with it. And and it's, it's similar to the goals he scored, actually, the two goals he scored in the Premier League this season. He hasn't scored a winning goal yet, but obviously he contributed to that one yesterday in the FA Cup. So, yeah. I think the future is looking bright for us. Um, I think we do got we do have to be a bit careful because obviously, I think on the flip side of the African Cup of Nations taking place right now, obviously a lot of clubs have players at this competition with the complications of COVID as well and injuries. You know, January is going to be could be a difficult month for a lot of clubs, and we could see more postponements. So I don't know whether they thought about this or or or, or whatever, um, but you know, it, it's it's going to throw that extra element into the mix a little bit, isn't it? So, but yeah, I'm yeah, we we head to Brighton on Friday. Um, it's been it's been an interesting week of fixtures actually, West Ham, Millwall, and Brighton. So, <laughs> you know, it's been a it's been an interesting week for us. I'm going to end it down on the South Coast against Brighton. If we can get something out of that game, then it will have been a good week. Yeah, not too many travel miles for you the past couple of weeks, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, obviously playing a couple of uh, rivals back to back is always a little tough on the squad and the bodies. But mm-hmm. hopefully, uh, 
are able to pick up the points there. Uh, we'll come to you now, Jake, to talk a little bit about Newcastle. I'm not going to make you talk too much about Trippier because I know that you already wrote an article for that. Um, but just uh, some quick highlights from you and, and your thoughts on some other potential incomings like Alexander Isak, which would be an absolutely huge name for you to get in January. Yeah, I think apparently we are trying to get him, although I think that's probably a little bit unrealistic. Um, today it came out that Chris Wood is, is a player we're looking at, and that's probably a little bit more in the realistic zone at the moment uh, in our current position. Um, seemingly the the piece that it was it, it was in the telegraph and it seemed to hint that Burnley weren't totally against it which which confused me a little bit I thought that they wouldn't really want to to lose Chris Wordy's player that's always scored double figures for them they're not scoring a lot of goals um and he, they'd be selling him to a rival so I don't know how that really works out but you know if we did sign Chris Wood this week that would be I think a a good deal up until the summer uh, obviously then we'd probably want to get a more high profile name in but to, i don't think there's many better that we could get to come in and and sort of get us over the the line of staying up so that would be decent i don't think he'd be, if we did sign him i think we'd probably try and get another striker as well but you know be a good signing it seems the defenders are where they're really targeting i think they're quite hot on sven botman from Lille. they've had a, several bids going for him you know that it seems that he wants to come. It seems that Newcastle are quite close to the price. I, you know, if you're asking me today, I think it's more likely to happen than not, and that'd be quite a an eye-catching signing considering he's a player that Champions League clubs wanted in the past. I think AC Milan wanted him this month, but they're just not going to offer the money that we are. So that'd be a really exciting signing. I think they're trying to get Diego Carlos and Sevilla as well, who's a another centre back, um, who's again been linked with Champions League clubs. Yeah, that'd be a huge Europa deal. League. Exactly, he'd be a good signing. I know he plays mainly left centre back as well for for Sevilla, but he is right footed. I think the from what I've read, the plan is to bring him and Botman both in and play them together. So that would be an interesting thing if they managed to get it. But I think today, I think Kounde from Sevilla went off injured, so I don't know if they will be able to get him. I don't know if there's a release clause or something, but it seems they're really going for defenders um, and they want to improve the strikers. So it's gonna it's gonna be an interesting. It's definitely going to be an interesting week. I think they should try and do all they can to get players in before Watford next week. Um, I think there, there are some small rumours going around that Todd Cantwell could be coming in from Norwich, which would be, you know, I don't think it's really what we need, but, I, you know, he's a good young player. And, you know, I think maybe if they're trying to to bring in players across the across the pitch, maybe he's a player that Eddie Howe likes. He's, he, he reminds me of the type of player that he, he used to sign at Bournemouth. So that... That would be interesting if he came in. I'm just not really sure where he would fit into the team. Um, it's going to be a really interesting month for Newcastle. I think that we're probably going to sign five or six players, maybe more. You know, I, I think yesterday would have only have, have increased the amount of money we're going to spend this month, not decreased. And teams are going to see us coming as well. Like for me, if we did sign Chris Wood, I wouldn't want it to be more than for more than 20 million. I think that you know a player of his age, I think he's 30. He's probably, yeah, I don't think he's got long left this contract. I wouldn't want us to go more than 20, but I was talking to Jamie today. Uh, I was exchanging some tweets and he sort of seemed to think that that would be way too low and that they would be expecting, I don't know, uh, he didn't give a figure, but it sounded like maybe double that, which, you know, if Newcastle paid 40 million for Chris Wood, I'd start to worry about what we were doing. But um, it's going to be interesting. Hopefully we bring in the right players. Hopefully we get it done quickly. And hopefully we we do enough to see us stay up because if we did stay up this this month uh, this season, 
um, even if it was a 17 finish. You know, we if we can attract the likes of Botman and Carlos now, and maybe in the summer we might get a, a whole new caliber of player become interested in a move to Newcastle. Um, so yeah, it'd be definitely exciting times ahead. Whether whether we go down or not, I'm sure we'll get to a point where we are in the top sort of six to eight of the Premier League, maybe higher. Um, yeah, it's definitely interesting. It's going to be an interesting month, and I think we from from when they took over, they thought that, spoke about maybe spending fifty million in January. I'm sure that's trebled now. But after they've they've watched what, what this squad is capable of, but yeah, Trippy is a good start. I think he's a very good signing, and I think it's probably the type of signing that to get in early that will convince others if they were slightly unsure that maybe they should join uh, as well. Um, so yeah, it's going to be an interesting month, but I, I think we're going to sign quite a few players, and I think there's going to be a couple of high-profile ones in there as well. Yeah, we'll definitely keep our ears at the ground for any of those big names potentially coming to join Newcastle. Obviously, happened when City got their money, and it'll definitely make sense if, if you're able to sway some people to join the club that maybe wouldn't have just six months ago. Uh, Gito, we'll come to you now. Uh, for for casual uh, fans that that just want Swansea to do well because of their Swans alone years up in the Premier League and stuff. It might come as a surprise that after two years of making it into the playoff that you've now dropped pretty far down the table and don't really look like making a run this year. Uh, so for, for those of us that haven't been as keyed into the championship, uh, what have you made of the last few years kind of leading into the Russell Martin era? And what have you made of his early start to his, his tenure there as your manager? Yeah, any um, fans who do want to see Swansea back because they uh, enjoyed the kind of Swansea loner football that we played, um, there's good news and bad news. Uh, the good news is that we are trying to get back to playing that style of play after um, playing a very defensive, uh, more direct um, uh, and less ambitious, I would say, style of play under, under Steve Cooper for, for the last two years. So we're trying now to go back to that passing style, the possession-based football, Um a uh, bit more attack-minded uh, and creative than we were under Cooper. And um, in fairness, I think um, uh, Russell Martin has got those messages across to the players and the style has definitely changed quite a lot uh, under him. The bad news is that we are a million miles away from promotion at the moment. We are uh, in the bottom half of the table. Um, we've um, it, The playoffs look like a very long shot uh, this season and we are definitely building for the future. Um, but I think this season is sort of in line with expectations, roughly. I think we all knew that it was going to be uh, a bit tougher this time around than it had been the previous years. Um, the parachute payments have now run out and they were keeping us competitive, um, although our financial situation meant they were basically being used to, to um, make sure that Andre Ayew didn't bankrupt us with his um, 80,000 pound a week wages. Um, so it just kept us afloat uh, quite nicely. But now those parachute payments have run out. Andre Ayew's contract has expired too. So he's uh, left the club. Um, as Jay knows, um, the likes of Mark A um, and um, other big high profile um, Premier League loanees have, have moved on to, to the Premier League. 
um, and we're having to rebuild really. Um, and we were also, of course, in a, um, an even more difficult position because Steve Cooper, um, his departure from the club wasn't announced until a fortnight before the start of the season. We didn't get Russell Martin in until um, less than a week before the season started. So he didn't really have a, a pre-season. Uh, most of our transfer work was was left until the final few days of, of the transfer window. So we've been on the back foot while trying to, you know, transform things really um, on, on, on the playing side of things. Um, and it's unsurprisingly led to an up and down season. We started quite slowly, um, built up a, good, a decent run of form, got some very good results and some good performances against the likes of Cardiff and West Brom and Peterborough and Coventry. Um, and at one point it did look like perhaps we were going to be capable of, of making another playoff push. But um, I think recent results have shown that pro probably it's just a bit too much of a, a, an ask. I think our defensive worries um, are too severe. We, we're probably among the easiest teams to play against in the entire division. Um, we leave a lot of space in behind for, um, for, for our uh, opponents. And um, while watching Swansea this season has been very entertaining because they're always open games, they're always um, filled with good football. Uh, Swansea try to, you know, pass the ball around um, in, you know, with, with um, quite a brave approach, really. And, and we're pretty good at it on the whole. But when we do lose the ball, we play ourselves into a lot of trouble. And it's it's just clear that that you know that we're we're not quite we're not ready yet to to make that playoff push. There are a, a lot of exciting pieces in the in the puzzle, um, likes of Joe Piru, who's been signed um, for just a million pounds in the summer from PSV, has been one of the best strikers in the in the championship this season, scoring all sorts of goals um, and just a great player to watch. Jamie Patterson um, signed on a free in the summer, possibly in the best form of his career. Um, he's been a revelation. Olivia and Cham bought from Celtic is just a really classy uh, midfielder who gets us ticking. Flynn Downs is basically the championship's um, Declan Rice. He is uh, a brilliant young defensive midfielder um, who uh, I think is going to be playing in the Premier League within the next few years without any shadow of a doubt. He was excellent against Southampton yesterday and is just generally phenomenal. Um, but there are a lot of pieces then which are missing from this puzzle, particularly uh, at the back. So it, it's a real mixed picture at the moment. But on the whole, I think fans are, are generally um, reasonably positive still uh, and, and can see that there is um, hope of a long term um, success here. Uh, and, and if if Russell Martin can get things to work, um, that, then it is going to be very exciting because he is. The, the essence of, of a Swansea City manager, his philosophies, the way he does things. He, he's made for this club, really, and we're just all hoping that it does work out. Gotcha. And like we said, I think a lot of neutrals are also hoping that it works out for you. But yeah, without those parachute payments, you, you kind of get into the long build version rather than the try to get there as fast as possible. And, you know, losing Cooper and all of his connections to the England youth teams and, and bringing in loans that way obviously brought you success and now as you mentioned a lot of them are back in the premier league uh one of them is staying in the championship though with the layered recall and then reloan to bournemouth w what did you make of all that uh I, I we can't really complain because we did the same thing um a couple of seasons ago with conor gallagher 
um, who again Jay knows very well. Um, but yeah, Ethan Laird came to us on loan for Manchester United uh, in the summer. Uh, has been very good. A little bit um, inconsistent due to the fact that he's um, he, he's one of these players who only has one setting. He plays the game at 100 miles an hour, and that does mean that he he struggles to control his en- energy level. So he'll be brilliant one game, the next game he looked quite tired. Um, but when he's at his best, he's a fantastic young player, really quick, has plenty of skill, um, contributes well, was a really important player uh, in, in our atta- in an attacking sense, playing at right wing back. Um, and um, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens now that Manchester United have recalled him and sent him on loan to, to Bournemouth. Um, it's a bit of a strange one because he was playing regularly and playing well for Swansea. And I'm not entirely sure that he's going to be playing regularly for um, for Bournemouth um, on, the, on the right wing. So it, it's a bit of a strange one, but you know, as much of a blow as, as as it is, you take these risks when you get players in on loan. Th- these things can always happen. We did it two seasons ago, like I mentioned, when Conor Gallagher had been brilliant um, on loan at Charlton and we just stole him uh, in January of the same season when, when Charlton really needed him uh, to stay in the Premier League. And, um, you know, we, we know what it's like. It's it's par for the course when you um, when when you bring in loan player uh, players and pretty much every club in the championship knows that that is the risk. But you know the way things are, especially financially in the championship these days, loans are um, a big part of every club strategy, and they're just risks that you have to take. And unfortunately, you know Ethan Laird has done very well with us, but um, we're now having to try and find uh, a replacement right wing back, which. Um, uh, isn't something that we thought we'd have to do in this transfer window. But um, there we go. These these things happen, I guess. If you want to put in a cheeky, like, two-pound bid for Matt Dougherty, you could probably get him off Tottenham. Uh, but just as a gesture. All right, we've hit the hour mark, so I think we'll have to wrap up here. But thanks so much to you guys for coming on today. If you'd like to tell folks where they could find you or anything you've been working on, now's a good time. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, Kev. It's uh, it's always a pleasure. Um, yeah, for anything Palace-related or, or non-Palace-related, we, we chat to anybody. We like the interaction with the opposition fans. So head over to the Eagles Beak, the website itself. We have articles regularly going up on there, not just about games, but just opinion-based ones as well. Um, you can get us on all across socials, at the Eagles Beak, and, uh, and maybe have a tune in to my, my own community radio sports show every Tuesday evening, 8 o'clock. It's just... Uh, just a couple of guys like down the pub talking sport that's all it is and playing great music so you can catch us on socials uh, for all those details at the meridian ss thanks for listening you can get me on twitter at jake jack with two ends i write for a variety of websites all of which i will post about on my twitter feed Thank you very much for having me back. Um, you can uh, find me on Twitter at Gitterthwill and you can also find the Jackcast at the Jackcast on Twitter. Awesome, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show on Twitter at EPL Roundtable, and you can find it on all your podcasting sites by searching EPL Roundtable. And as always, you seem to have nailed it if you're listening this far into the show. Uh, But thanks again to these guys for joining me. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.